Transfigured on the mount of Christ our God, revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the O giver of light, glory to Thee. Hi there. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome back to another live stream Bible study on the book of 1 Corinthians inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. My name is Father Athanasios Heros and I'm the Dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We had a full summer vacation. I hope everyone enjoyed their summer vacation. Here in Florida it is still summer. It is still very hot, even though last week we had a brush with a hurricane. It is still incredibly summer temperatures here in Florida. So, if you're new, welcome to everyone who's new. Let me share with you how we do Bible study here. Our Bible study on 1 Corinthians, as I said, are inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. Now what that means, when he was a priest in this case, he was a priest in Antioch somewhere around the year 385, we're saying. He wrote this series of Bible studies. Unlike his other Bible studies, this was not actually daily sermons. This was a more of a classroom setting, a study. And we know that because the selection does not match the lectionary for the day. If, on the other hand, you look at his uh, Bible study on the book of Acts, it matches exactly the lectionary. So the reading of the day matches another homily. So in this case, these were actually Bible studies taught by St. John Chrysostom. Again, in the year roughly 385 AD in Antioch. Now here's why that's important for us. St. Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth. Corinth at the time was a very wealthy, cosmopolitan, multicultural, highly educated, and highly divided community and city. Antioch, at the end of the fourth century, was also educated, multicultural, very wealthy, and divided. And America, same thing wealthy, multicultural, uh, very divided, all these things. And so we are getting an extra benefit. We have St. Paul speaking, we have St. John Chrysostom speaking about St. Paul and to his people, and we are here to, today in the 23rd century. So we're getting a triple effect for our Bible study, which is really an extra blessing for us. As I said, we're here at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral. If you've never been here before, we are in downtown Tarpon Springs, Florida. If you are new, you can find our Bible study information at liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash bible-studies. That's my website for Be Transfigured Ministries. And if you need a refresher course, on how to do Bible study, go back to session one. Session one uh, was an intro about how to do Bible study and also an intro to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, there is a study guide and you'll find the study guide again on my website. There is also a chat room. The chat room is moderated by my wife, Presbyteria Vasi, and she's really good at what she does. Of course, what she does most of the time is bossing me around, and she's extra good at that, because you know, the man is the head, but the wife is the neck. She turns the neck head wherever she needs it. My wife's in charge of everything. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't want to get her upset because she's here with us. She's standing directly across from me. And so she's moderating the chat room 
If you have any comments or questions in the chat room, she can always bump those into the live stream so we can maybe address some of those things. Uh, tonight is session 25, homily 24. On the online uh, study guide, there's a link to the homily, homily 24. And tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 24. Before we move on, for those of you who are here in May, I assigned homework for the summer. Did anybody do their homework? You tried, right? The homework was to read 1 Corinthians at least once per week. Okay, I didn't succeed either, but how many times were you able to get through it? Four times. Was it a beneficial exercise? It was. You get to begin to see the breadth of the whole letter this way, right? You can see where St. Paul... Sometimes you get so into the, into the weeds, you can't see the entire, the entire thing. So, Presbytero, who's online right now? Today, we have Ray and Jane and Denise. That's it so far? I'm texting the Gloria now. Okay. Ray and Jane from Lando Lakes and Denise from somewhere up north. I can never remember where she's coming from. Oh, if you're watching on YouTube... Denise is Denise L. It's not, it's, 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 it's not the Denise who works here, no. Uh, you'll find there's a little um, fundraiser button on there. We are trying our best. You may have seen a commercial when you launched the live stream tonight. If we can reach our goal of $2,000, we will eliminate all commercials. We've already eliminated commercials in our sermon series, and we'd like to eliminate commercials also in our Bible studies. So you can either make a donation there, you can leave what's called a super chat donation, or you can just go to our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash give, and you can become a monthly sponsor, and we will love monthly sponsors because they help keep our ministry afloat. All right, I think that was all the announcements. So let's go ahead and read our opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, light of our souls and bodies, and to you we give glory, together with the Father without beginning, and your all-holy, good, and life-cutting spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Okay, so to begin, let's start. Who wants to read uh, chapter 10, verses 13 through 24? Do I have a volunteer? I'm looking right at him because I already knew he was willing to volunteer. I put the microphone good up and close. Make sure you turn it on first. All the way to 24. Yes, 13 through 24. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common in man. But God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will also make way the escape that you may be able to bear. Worship is sacrament. Therefore, my beloved, leave from idolatry. I speak as to the wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, but we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, Louder. they sacrifice to demons Louder. and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. 
Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. All right, so now that the microphone's off, practice speaking louder. Uh, there you go. <laughs> let him be able to hear you. Let him let them hear you. All right. Make, but make sure you're telling him we're trying to work on his his volume. He's so timid. Okay. So, uh, again, if you're new to our Bible study, you'll notice in the study guide we have what's called text analysis, and then later we will have what I call life application and send off. Uh, the, text the text analysis is the traditional chapter verse. We'll see what St. John Chrysostom wants us to understand in the actual text. The life application, St. John Chrysostom almost always, and we've only found him once so far to not do this, he sometimes one word, sometimes one verse, he launches into a teaching, a moral teaching, what I call the life application. And then we will end with our send-off uh, going through. And you'll see in the study guide, under the text analysis, you'll see section numbers. The section numbers merely line up to the section numbers in the, uh, in the homily as inserted by the editors. Uh, for those of us here, and I'll have to get you a copy, um, we had this from way back when, we had, this, we had the uh, homily in advance. I always encourage you to read the homily in advance. So tonight was homily 24, next week is homily 25, etc. And so you'll find the links there on the, uh, on the study guide. But I will always read in the study guide. I have actual quotes from the homily, so you'll be able to follow along. Here we go. Uh, point number one. Without God's help, we cannot bear any temptation. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. There are therefore temptations which we are not able to bear. And what are these? all, so to speak, for the ability lies in God's gracious influence, a power which we draw down by our own will. Wherefore, that you may know and see that not only those which exceed our power, but not even these which are common to man, is it possible without assistance from God easily to bear. That's a really important thing for us to remember, especially in the, the, 20, the 21st century. Did I say 23rd century earlier? Yeah. I did, didn't I? That's no, 21st century, not 23rd century. It's 2023 is the 21st century. Okay, so the, the issue here is that we can't bear the temptation, any temptation, without God. And that's really important because what tends to happen is we tend to depend upon our own willpower and our own strength. And yet, what do we say every single time we pray the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, right? It's God that helps us bear the temptation. Without Him, we can't bear any of it, even the smallest amount of temptation. And it would do us well to remember that as we're trying to ward off, ward off sin. Point number two, God gives us what we need to bear all temptation. Quote, for he gives patience and brings on a steady release, so that in this way also the temptation becomes bearable. Right? It, it, and here's, I, I love this nuance in St. John Chrysostom. He's talking, of course, about being able to hold off the temptation. That strength comes from God. But now he's even saying, just to bear the temptation, God gives us that strength. God gives us that extra grace. You know, because otherwise we'd be like, oh, I can't stand the temptation. Oh, the temptation. But God gives us even grace enough to hold that off. So I think it's a beautiful nuance here that uh, St. John Christum is helping us see uh, in this beautiful text. All right, section number two, continuing our theme of temptation. Point number three, we should run away from temptation. Christum says this, For he did not say simply depart, but flee, 
and he calls the matter idolatry and no longer bids them quit to merely on account of the injury to their neighbor, but signifies that the very thing itself is sufficient to bring a great destruction. So, just keeping in mind here, he's still talking about this food offered to idols thing. That's the theme that's carrying St. Paul through this section. And so, um, St. John Christum is reminding us that when St. Paul says, run away from temptation, he's saying, again, don't assume you're going to be strong enough to say no. Flee from temptation. Keep ourselves as far from temptation as possible because without God's help, we're not going to be strong enough. So why put ourselves in that extra, in that extra pressure? Those are my words. Point number four. Freedom requires dialogue rather than force. Now this is referencing... Uh, the way St. Paul is communicating with the Corinthians and how he's communicating with us. Chrysostom says this, Thus also he more elevates the hearer when he discourses not as commanding nor as laying down the law, but as advising with them and as actually pleading before them. In other words, instead of St. Paul putting down the hammer. He's constantly addressing the, the logic of it. He's trying to say, look, this is, this is the more reasonable treatment. This is the more reasonable behavior. This is how we should be acting. And he does that because that draws us in. The more we buy into the argument, the more we are willing to live by the decision. Right? If we are just constantly told, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that, then we're, we don't have any buy-in. Right? And so when he's talking about freedom, because all of us have free will, he understands that, that freedom requires this dialogue rather than constantly beating us over the head. Okay? And that's something that in our contemporary society, we tend to forget. We're always trying to beat people into submission rather than trying to convince them to follow a better way. And of course, who is the better way? Christ. All right. Moving on to the homily, point number five. Holy Communion is a blessing and thanksgiving because of the mercy of God to draw us to Himself. Listen to what Chrysostom is quoting here. For when I call it blessing, I mean thanksgiving. And when I call it thanksgiving, I unfold all the treasure of God's goodness and call to mind those mighty gifts, since we too, recounting over the cup the unspeakable mercies of God and all that we have been made partakers of, so draw near to Him and communicate, giving Him thanks that He has delivered from error the whole race of mankind. Right? So it is a blessing and it is a thanksgiving. What do we call it? Right? The Holy Eucharist in Greek, Thea Eucharistia. This is the expression of thanks that we give to God. But it's also a blessing because in that giving of thanks, we are communing with God. Right? And keep in mind that this is not the most contemporary English in the homily. So in this case, when it says we communicate, we're talking about being in communion with, not talking, right? So the word communicate here does not mean verbal communication, but communing as in uh, joining together. Point number six, Holy Communion is the body and blood of Christ. Chrysostom. Uh, he's quoting here St. Paul. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion of the, of the blood of Christ? Very persuasively spoke he and awfully. For what he says is this, This which is in the cup is that which flowed from his side, and of that do we partake. So here is an absolute confirmation 
that the church believes Holy Communion to in fact be the body and the blood of Christ. And so when we are receiving Holy Communion, it is the body and blood of Christ. Now that's going to lead St. Paul and St. John Chrysostom a little deeper into our understanding. But here, this is a theological truth of the church. Right? It is not merely symbolic in the Orthodox Church. We absolutely believe. So if you find in your conversations with your friends who are Christian but not Orthodox, and they talk about communion not being real, quote St. Paul. Because it was St. Paul who says, is it not the body of Christ? Is it not the blood of Christ? Okay, and so obviously St. Paul believed it was real, and so do we. Point number seven. God changed the blood sacrifice from the Old Testament imperfect to the New Testament perfect sacrifice. Listen to what he says here. He transferred the service to that which is far more awful and glorious, changing the very sacrifice itself. Instead of the slaughter of irrational creatures, commanding to offer up himself. Right? So in the Old Testament, the imperfect version of the sacrifice, there were brute animals that were offered. Now in the perfect version of the sacrifice, God offers himself. Right? That's the blood sacrifice. And again, as a reminder, the service of Holy Communion is modeled after the Old Testament blood sacrifices. Right? This is not something that the church just made up. Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing or a prototype of the New Testament. So Christ took what was in the Old Testament to get us ready for what was going to come in the New Testament. Right? He's preparing us. The Old Testament is preparing us for the New Testament. And the New Testament is preparing us for... Heaven. Not the second floor. Heaven. Oh, second coming. All right. All right. Let's move on. All right. Section number four, point number eight. Through Holy Communion, we are united to the body of Christ. And I would say the blood of Christ. St. Paul talks about both of them separately, and so therefore Chrysostom does here too, but I'm merging them here. Chrysostom says this, Because he intended to express something more and to point out how close was the union, in that we communicate not only by participating and by partaking, but also by being united. For as that body is united to Christ, so also are we united to him by his bread. There is no question about it. The church believes, St. Paul believed, the fathers believed that we are actually not just partaking of the body and blood of Christ in reality, but also being united to him in that moment. And this now is going to bring us to another deeper level. Through Holy Communion, we are united to each other. I mean, I've said this a thousand times, right? For what is the bread? The body of Christ. And what do they become who partake of it? The body of Christ. Not many bodies, but one body. For as the bread consisting of many grains is made one, so that the grains no nowhere appear, they exist indeed, but their difference is not seen by reason of their conjunction. So we are conjoined both with each other and with Christ. There not being one body for you and another for your neighbor to be nourished by, but the very same for all. Okay, so is your page, are you missing a page? I'm missing the page. Oh, I have to check with my photocopier. Yeah. Right, so in Holy Communion. 
Well, some of them are yours and some of them was from the office. Try the bottom stack, Maria. Mine were three pages. Okay, so in our communing with God, in being united to God, right, I'll say it my way. If I'm united to Christ in Holy Communion and you're united to Christ in Holy Communion, that means we are united to each other. And that is that Christian unity as the body of Christ that St. Paul talks about over and over and over again. And it is what we have easily forgotten. We think we're on this individual journey, but we really are not. So that leads us to point number 10. Our life should reflect our unity to each other. This is what Christosom has to say here. Not so, however, now, but altogether the reverse. Many and various are the contests between all, and worse than wild beasts are we affected towards each other's members. And Christ indeed made you so far remote one with himself, but thou dost not deign to be united even to your brother with due exactness, but separatest yourself having had the privilege of so great love and life from the Lord. So here, Chrysostom is bewailing that what should be true is the opposite. Right? We should be living as if we are united to each other, because we are. And instead, what are we doing? We're driving each other apart. We're actually working against what is really the case in Holy Communion. And that's what he's bewailing here, right? He's obviously not encouraging us to separation. He's like, look, we should be united, but worse than not being united is we are forcing ourselves apart. We're almost rejecting that union. And if we're rejecting that union, who's causing the union? Christ. Right? So in rejecting the union, we are rejecting Christ's work. And this is what really starts to aggravate St. John Chrysostom. And that's where we're going to that's where we're going to lead when we get to the life application, this entire theme of living holy communion. So now St. Paul and Chrysostom take a, a, a step backward again and they go they go back to the conversation of idols, right? Point number 11, section 5 of the homily. Idols cannot hurt us, but they are beneath us. Chrysostom says this, Do not then run to the contrary things, for neither if you were a king's son, and having the privilege of your father's table, should leave it and choose to partake of the table of the condemned and the prisoners in the dungeon, would your father permit it? But with great vehemence he would withdraw you. Not as though the table could harm you, but because it disgraces your nobility and the royal table. Right? So, so here, St. Paul and St. John Christum bring us toward the reality of our reunion with God and what that really means. And then they go, okay, now remembering this, let's go back and revisit the idol conversation. Right? If, in fact, we are united with God, why would we disgrace ourselves by joining together with the demons? Right, so this is how, see how St. Paul came, comes around the roundabout way now, right? Again, trying to have us buy into this discussion. Well, yeah, we believe in communion. Yeah, we believe it's the body and blood of Christ. Yes, we believe in our unity. Then why not live that way? Why would you unify yourself to something else if you're already part of the royal family? So he's taking this now full circle. Brazil, you have a question you want to chime in? Yeah, Denise is just asking to clarify, who is, the, who is doing the rejecting? Is it the non-Jewish that are rejecting? Rejecting the, the truth of communion? I'm not sure. Well, in the context of this homily, everything is written to the Corinthians. So, St. Paul and therefore St. John Christum are talking about us believers rejecting the unity. Meaning, we're not living the truth that is in front of us. From nine. Huh? From nine? 
Yeah, so he's saying that those of us who are believers, not, not the non-believing Jews, but here we are, we're united to each other, and yet we are rejecting that unity. We're the ones rejecting that unity because we're not living it. And we're doing worse, we're actually creating the separation. That's, where, that's why Christism is bewailing this point. He's like, we should be living in unity and we're driving each other apart. Still. Still, of course, yeah. Right, this was in 385. Is there anything different in 2023, the 21st century? <laughs> That's, this is why we're studying it this way. Because it was true in Corinth in the 1st century. It was true in Antioch in the 4th century. And it is still true in the United States of America in the 21st century. We continue to struggle that we are united to each other, but we refuse to acknowledge it and we keep living as if we're in some kind of individual path. Right? This is where, you know, that where Christophe is trying to draw us up to this higher level. Why would you go eat in the dungeon when you're part of the royal family? Right? Well, this is again referring to the meat offered to idols, which is the theme that St. Paul's using here. Why would we do that if we're already united to the King, the king of Kings? Okay, so here we are, section 6. Did that answer Denise's question, Parizdeva? I think so. Okay. Section 6, point number 12. Don't tempt God by getting in bed with the enemy. Chrysostom says this, Are we tempting him, whether he is able to punish us, and irritating him by going over to the adversaries and taking our stand with, the, with his enemies? And this he said, reminding them of an ancient history and of their father's transgressions. Remember, the, the Jews had betrayed Christ. They went back to the idols in the desert. Okay? And, you know, this is a theme for St. Paul. When we're freed from all that, why are we going backwards? Why go back to something that God freed us from? Okay. If I can be so bold to make this comparison. When someone is a victim of domestic violence, even when they are freed from their... Uh, abuser many times they return to the abuser because that's all they know it's somehow psychologically easier for them to return to the abuse because at least they know what that is right in a spiritual sense we've been freed from our abuser and yet we return to the abuser and this is what Chris is now man St. Paul are trying to get us away from that. Don't, you know, don't even mess with that stuff. Run away from it. And finally here, point number 13, which is the, the brings us to the end of the passage in the, in, the, in, the, in the book. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. That would make a good bumper sticker, right? Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Chrysostom says this, Do you see his exact wisdom? Because it was likely that they might say, I am perfect and master of myself, and it does me no harm to partake of what is set before me. Even so, says he, perfect you are and master of yourself. Do not, however, look at this, but whether the result involve injury, nay, subversion. Right? And this is going to lead to next week's study, too. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should, right? All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial for us. And the older we get, the more mature we get, the more we got to take responsibility for that. We just can't keep going back and back and back. We have to move forward. We have to make progress. Right, And so that challenge is basically, as I have uh, the, the comments here in the life application, it's all about living the reality that Holy Communion is real.
Holy Communion is absolutely central to our faith. Which, which is one of the reasons I get the most sad when people say, oh, I love my religion, but I don't have to be in church to be a good Christian. Okay. But in truth, because it's all about Holy Communion, being in communion with God and therefore being in communion with each other, it absolutely requires being in church. Not that being in church is some check mark, but that it's a manifestation of what we really believe. Okay, and so when someone says, I don't have to be in church to show God that I love Him, or I don't have to be in church to be a good Christian, they're totally forgetting this entire dialogue that St. Paul walks us through, right? Even if you're not Orthodox and you don't want to listen to St. John Christum, at least answer, listen to St. Paul, you know, who's talking about real communion and communing and, and uniting with each other. So, our life application tonight, Holy Communion is central. So for those of you watching, if you do not have the homily, I do have some slides to put up on the screen. So in this case, you can follow along with the various, the various uh, comments. So here we have our life application for tonight, Holy Communion is central. And our first quote, Focus on the truth that Holy Communion leads to our unity. Here's what Chrysostom says here. These things therefore knowing, let us also, beloved, consult for the good of the brethren and preserve unity with them. For to this that fearful and tremendous sacrifice leads us, warning us above all things to approach it with one mind and fervent love, and thereby becoming eagles, so to mount up to the very heaven, nay, even beyond the heaven. Right? So here, this importance of living in the truth that it is our unity. Unity has been something that the church has focused on from the very first days. The ecumenical councils through all of church history, doing our best to remain united has always been a priority of the church. And that is ultimately because our unity is an icon of the Trinity. Right? Christ said before he went up on the cross that they may be one as we are one. Right? We human beings are made in the image of God. The image of God is unity. The image of God is Trinity. Three in one, in total union. And so the church always struggles to remain united. Not just in name, but in faith, in doctrine, in actions, in love, etc. And so everything we do has always been about trying to hold on or regain our unity. It was the call of Christ and it is what makes us in the image and the likeness of God. Point number two. We must approach Holy Communion with reverence and care because this is the body and blood of Christ. Chrysostom says this, I say now, if even a man's garment be what one would not venture inconsiderately to touch, what shall we say of the body of him who is God of overall, spotless, pure, associate with the divine nature, the body whereby we are and live, whereby the gates of hell were broken down and the sanctuaries of heaven opened. How shall we receive this with so great insolence? Let us not, I pray you, let us not slay ourselves by our irreverence, but with all awfulness and purity draw near to it. The next one. And then we'll talk about those two things together. Holy Communion is the cause of pain and suffering for those who hate God. Quote, 
And as they who take food which they are unable to retain, on account of that vomit up also what was before lodged in them, so also it happened unto death. That body which he could not digest, he received and therefore had to cast forth that which he had within him. Yea, he travailed in pain while he held him, and was straitened until he vomited him up. Wherefore, says the apostle, having loosed the pains of death, quoting Acts 11.24, uh, For never woman laboring of child was so full of anguish as he was torn and racked in sunder while he held the body of our Lord. So who's he talking about here? All these he's. Right? Christum is talking about Hades. Right? That Hades was in pain. The devil was in pain holding on to the body. Because why? Because the very union with God he hated. Okay? And so that's why, this, why I'm making these two things connected. That those who hate God, communion is suffering. Right? Because it is the body and blood of Christ. And so... If we're going to approach Holy Communion with anything other than the utmost reverence, it doesn't mean that we're perfect to receive Communion. It means what's our attitude in approaching Holy Communion. If our attitude is nonchalant and careless, then it's going to cause us pain and suffering. Right? It's going to churn us up inside. Because when Hades, when the earth received the body of Christ, it vomited him up. Again, that's remember Jonah in the whale. The whale vomited up Jonah. There's that imagery there that reminds us of Christ. That the earth can't contain it. The earth is the earth shook. The earth was trembling, right? Because it was holding onto something that it just couldn't handle. Right? And so if we hate God, if we do not love the Lord, if we come in any way irrespectful of or whatever, it's going to be to our detriment. That's again, it doesn't mean that we must only approach perfect because we'll never be perfect. It's about what is our attitude when we approach. I said this before, right? I grew up, and uh, back then, you know, the yayas used to say, it's not Coca-Cola, it's not Kool-Aid, meaning we shouldn't receive communion so very often. But what they missed was, it wasn't how often we receive, it's how we receive. Do we receive, as it says, with the fear of God, with that awesomeness and that love and that respect and that reverence for God? I would suggest, as Chrysostom has suggested, that many times that's the part we forget. And I would even say the danger in frequent communion, if there is a danger, is that we don't take it seriously enough and we're bringing more pain upon ourselves. Not that we shouldn't receive frequently because it is our life source, but we have to make sure that we're walking that, that balance between our faith and our reverence and our respect. Make sense? All right, next. So all that said about how we should approach, point number 17, avoiding Holy Communion is just as dangerous as approaching carelessly. Lest you think it's, it's safer not to approach at all. Christum is saying avoiding it is just as dangerous as approaching carelessly. Listen to him here. But these things I say, not to keep us from approaching, but to keep us from without consideration. For as the approaching at random is dangerous, so the not communicating in those mystical suppers is famine and death. Right? So there's that balance. 
right? And you, you may have almost fallen into my trap. I talked about the danger of receiving and well, maybe we shouldn't receive. And this is where Christ comes, comes right back. Ah, but not receiving is just as dangerous, right? This is, they don't call them golden mouth for nothing. Next. When we see Christ in Holy Communion, we see Him in heaven. Chrysostom. And why speak I of the world to come? Since here this mystery makes earth become to you a heaven. Open only for once the gates of heaven and look in. Nay, rather not of heaven, but of the heaven of heavens. And then you will behold what I have been speaking of. So this is kind of reminding me, I often make the announcement in church, during Holy Communion, we should not be venerating icons. Okay, now, it's not because communion is on our lips. Some people think it's that. That's not why I'm talking about that. If we truly believe that Holy Communion is the body and blood of Christ and that we're seeing Him in heaven, why on earth would we kiss a wooden picture of Him? That's why I make such a big deal out of not venerating the icons during Holy Communion. I'm trying to remind us when you look at the chalice, you're looking at Christ in heaven right there in front of us. Why would we turn and say, oh, wait a minute, and kiss a wooden, and wooden icon? We just wouldn't do that if we were really recognizing that he was right in front of our face. Right? That's, uh, to me, one of the biggest things that we see is where we have totally... Huh? Well, it's not a matter of not changing them. It's a matter of helping them see why it's important to change to see why it's important to change. Okay. Final point here in our uh, life application. Cast off all that is unworthy of God. Make your soul clean then. Prepare your mind for the reception of these mysteries. For if you were entrusted to carry a king's child with the robes, the purple and the diadem, you would cast away all things which are upon the earth. But now that it is no child of man, no how royal soever, but the only begotten Son of God Himself. Right? In other words, here's that final uh, urgency. Prepare ourselves to be holding on to God. I love the imagery he gave in the, in the sermon about if you were appointed to carry his robe, even the king's robe, King Charles, would you not wash your hands? Would you not make sure you were clean so you didn't get the robes dirty? That's the imagery that Chrysostom is talking about. Therefore, clean ourselves because that is who we are holding. Right? It's one of the reasons why the priest vests in the vestments for divine liturgy to remind us we're not looking at the priest but we're looking at Jesus Christ all of these things are the things that we have forgotten over the years right and it's natural I guess to forget these things but hopefully with conversations like this we can revitalize the better understanding of what Holy Communion is all about and why it's important right but I love the fact that he says here Right? Avoiding it is just as dangerous. So that means, and I, so you know, there's all these myths, the mythology of how much we have to fast. We have to fast three days. We have to fast seven days. A husband and a wife cannot have sex before or after Holy Communion, and this and that. We set up so many things that make it almost impossible to approach Holy Communion. Now, obviously, Chrysostom is not saying, don't take it seriously. He's not saying, have no preparation. But what's funny is, we set up all these things to then say, so therefore, I'm not going to receive communion because it's too difficult. 
That's what he doesn't want us to do here. He wants to say, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's awesome. But it's worth putting in the preparation. Not that we'll ever be perfect. It's a matter of doing the best we can and as much as we can. Does that make sense? All right. So our send-off for tonight, because as I've said a thousand times, and I'll say a thousand times more, it doesn't matter even if we can memorize the scriptures. If it doesn't somehow change the way we live, it is a useless exercise. And so we finish every Bible study with a send-off. What's going to bring us between now and next week's Bible study? And here's our send-off for tonight. Put on the glory of God and put off the world. For if we were if for if we be sober minded, not even this whole world is worthy of us, much less porticos and arcades. Wherefore I beseech you, let us adorn our souls, let us fit up th this house which we are also to have with us when we depart, that we may attain even to the eternal blessings. Right? Put on the glory of God, put off the world. There's absolutely nothing the world can offer that is in any way equal or even approaches the value of God and the value of Holy Communion. And this is what all Orthodox life is about, is understanding that reality and living that struggle. Running from temptation, living with Holy Communion, living united to each other, all of that is interconnected, right? To put on the glory of it. There's nothing else that compares. Any final questions before we tune off to any questions online, Prasitana? No. Okay. So that brings us to the end of another session, session 25 of our live stream Bible study. We'll be back next week. If you're in Tarpon Springs, we would love for you to join us live here in downtown Tarpon Springs in Father Trifon Hall. Until next week, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.